went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, crying out with loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he Simon, those who were with him, searched for him, and they found him, and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. I guess I didn't ask you to stand today. It's probably a good thing because the pastor is gone. Um, but maybe you can. All right, there's that. <laughs> uh, here we're picking up. Uh, where we left 
not belong to any man, but it belongs to God. It is his gospel, and this is what Jesus set out to proclaim, telling the people that the time is fulfilled. There had been this time and this season of silence uh, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. There had been an anticipation, not only in that 400 years of silence, but in generations and generations of people all the way back to Adam and Eve, anticipating and waiting for the coming one, the seed of the woman, who would crush the serpent's head. The one that would come with the authority to stand in the vacant place that Adam had left behind. Adam, who had not fulfilled his covenant duty before God. Someone who could come with that kind of authority, who could stand with the kind of authority where he could uh, take the place of all that fell under him. This was Jesus. And here we see Jesus saying, what? The time is fulfilled. It's now. The time is The grave is open. Now I wonder, after so much silence, after so much quiet, after so many years of waiting, that perhaps it may have been difficult for people to uh, believe just on word alone that the time was fulfilled. We know that even when Moses came to the people who were to be redeemed from Egypt, he came proclaiming to them, the time is fulfilled. It's at hand. It's time. God is going to rescue us from the hand of Pharaoh. And yet, they needed a sign, and God provided signs. They were signs that uh, marked Moses as God's man, but also verified Moses' word when he said he was speaking to God. And what we're going to see now is Mark begins to verify that the words that Jesus Oasis. It was a beautiful place. It was marked by 
like the lone fisherman out on the boat. This was where people came to fish as a business. Uh, if you've ever been in some of those kinds of places, you know what uh, kind of fishermen these places are. They're pretty fast. Perhaps you've been down to uh, the piers in uh, Corpus Christi where the commercial fishermen come in and out and there's just constant activity that's going on there. If you've ever had the chance to travel, uh, I've been in uh, San Francisco along Fisherman's Wharf, and not just the touristy part, but the part where they still are engaged in the commerce of fish or Pike Street Markets in Seattle. These are busy, rambunctious uh, places where there is great commerce going on, and this is the kind of place that the Sea of Galilee was. And you see Jesus uh, walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon and Andrew, the brother of James, casting a net into the sea. Now, here is where Mark, in so many ways, uh, skims over some of the details that perhaps we would have liked to have known. This is, in fact, that particular time when Jesus sees Peter casting his net into the sea, where he had been casting his net into the sea all night and has caught nothing. Uh, there is nothing more frustrating to a commercial fisherman than catching nothing. And so this is when Jesus would call out to Simon Peter and actually tell him,
are merely to follow in the sense that most often we think. But this, as I said, was a change in vocation. Jesus was changing their vocation. This was a new vocation call and a point for future apostleship. Now, were Peter and uh, Simon, so Simon here is Peter, uh, the same person. everything that God needed them to be in that moment right off the bat? We will see through the progression of the exhaustive meeting with Paul and the record of the Acts that look at all other progression of God's grace and wisdom in the Christian world. But we also need to understand that when a rabbi would come and call disciples, that they were not merely that discipleship came with it a cost of servanthood. That these disciples not only ran around trying to listen to everything that Jesus said, but they were there to literally, quite literally, serve him. Whatever the rabbi might need or require, they were the ones to do it. We think through the different uh, relations of the gospel that we know. Even think about the Last Supper. And what does he do? He sends some of the disciples off the room. He sends some of the disciples off to go and bring the donkey and colt and to ride upon. They were, in many ways, servants of the rabbi. But this allowed them that proximity that they needed to be close to him, to be near him, to learn from him. But more importantly, they became, for us, the witnesses of everything that Jesus said that he did. Again, he did not go off as a hermit, but rather
say, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. It was all to beset Jesus. Now it's some pretty good, uh, you know, identification. But what does he say now? He says, the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. Well, what does he mean to be the Holy One of God? Well, why then does Jesus tell him to be silent? 
is so often the case. I was uh, in many years of ministry, I've had the opportunity, sometimes with great pleasure, sometimes not so much, uh, to attend many different uh, pastors' conferences and churches' conferences and residency conferences. And it is inevitable that whenever any ministry uh, shows evidence of God's blessing in any kind of way, 
of what Peter's feelings may have been about his mother-in-law, we also see Peter not taking it favorably when Jesus condemns him. But we see something that we haven't quite seen yet with Jesus, at least in John's Gospel. It's something that touches the heart of Jesus. Things have been moving so rapidly from, from scene to scene already, and yet Mark takes time to mention these things. And I have to say, and if it's true that much of this came from Peter, that we do kind of know Peter's impression of John about his mother-in-law, but here is a detail that is beautiful in Jesus' description of his mother. He comes standing behind him. When he came to speak to Jesus, what did he do? He took her by the
right? Why? 